0: Welcome to the Eric
1: Erickson Show podcast, Hour 1.
0: Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. I hope you got blue skies. It's pouring down rain outside where I am. The phone number, 877-973-7425. It is an open line Friday if you wish to call in. Senator Pete Ricketts in Nebraska is going to join me at the bottom of this hour to talk about some legislation that uh, you're going to want to hear about. Right now, we got to talk about the biggest story of the day, the United Auto Workers strike. For the first time, the UAW, the United Auto Workers Union, is holding a strike against all three American major car manufacturers, Ford, Stellantis, Chrysler, and General Motors. They've never done that before. Typically what they do is they strike against one and the other two fold. This time they're going against all three because this time it's the biggest one and it matters. And there's some historic uh, information you got to have to understand what's really going on. For a number of years, the UAW was a very corrupt institution. A lot of the major unions were, the Teamsters, SEIU, uh, UAW, they, they all had issues. What the UAW leadership was exposed for doing, and people went to jail, is auto executives were essentially bribing the union leaders to take it easy on them and compromise on issues. And so the auto workers, they'd get a good deal, but not the deal they wanted. And the unions would puff up their chest and claim that, well, they were browbeaten at the negotiation table. The auto executives would splash water on their face and look exhausted and claim they were browbeaten. And they'd come away. And behind the scenes, they had paid each other off, bribed each other, and people went to jail over it. One of the things that happened that was kind of a no-brainer given the economics of the day as Japanese and, and other auto manufacturers, the Germans, came into the U.S., moved to the South, were non-unionized, and could pay lower wages and produce, frankly, a better product, and then you had the rise of Tesla and others, is the auto manufacturers, the big three, Ford, Stellantis, and General Motors, had to put in a tiered system of employment. So the guys who had been there a long time in this tiered system, they got higher wages, they got a pension, and they got retirement health care coverage. They began to tier the system. So tier one was the old guard who got the pensions, got the health care after they retired, got the high salaries. Then there was tier two. Tier two had to work, uh, I think, eight years to reach the hourly pay of the tier one people. They didn't get a pension. They didn't get retiree health care benefits. And then they added another tier. And then they added sub-tiers of the tiers, and it became this this Byzantine labyrinth that no one could really figure out except the bean counters in the accounting department of the auto manufacturers. And that has caused some rage among the auto workers. In addition, they weren't getting major pay hikes, at least. Now, you've got to understand and and put this into into context that the American auto manufacturers, going back to the, the 50s, and the embrace of union negotiations and privileges of the unionized workers, once right to work became a thing and southern states started attracting Hyundai, Kia, BMW, Mercedes, and others, Toyota is a big one, the American auto manufacturers couldn't keep up, but they had this system. I mean, the auto manufacturers of America were essentially a health care system and a, a retiree benefit system for people who on occasion might build a car. They didn't put out as much. They didn't work as hard. They made way more money. They got way better benefits than the Toyota workers, the Hyundai workers, the Kia workers, the Mercedes, the BMW—you name it—and it was all because of the UAW system. Toyota, when it came into the U.S. back in the day, started looking in places like Tennessee and elsewhere to build, and avoided the the unionized states. They went to right-to-work states and, and exploded. And their cars tend to last longer. They tend to be better produced. Uh, they, they have better warranties. They tend to cost less. All of these things come into play here. Now, I love my GMC. I have a GMC. We got our, our kid a, a Kia. The Kia has a 100,000-mile warranty, 10 years or 100,000-mile warranty. It was competitive with, actually, better than a lot of the, the, the comparable cars from GMC, Ford, Chrysler better warranty, had better safety ratings, better manufacturing ratings, more reliability, all, all easier to fix when something did go wrong, all these sorts of things. This doesn't even include groups like Tesla or Rivian. Well, the auto workers of America have decided to go on strike for the first time against all three, and they want a couple of things. One, they want to work 32 hours a week but be paid for a 40-hour work week. Can you imagine they they actually they want to be paid for a 40-hour work week, but they only want to work for 32 hours. Wow. Uh, the other thing they want is greater benefits, health care and other, otherwise. They want automatic cost of living adjustments. They, they want r- regular reliable pay raises, which is frankly a reasonable thing as inflation goes up, boost their pay. But um, a wage increase to the extent that they want it with reductions in work hours per week is not a good thing. Uh, The Japanese car manufacturers are not going to pay their workers to work 40 hours a week when they only work 32 uh, hours a week. That's going to put the American auto manufacturers at a major disadvantage. The auto manufacturers have countered with they'll give a 20% pay raise but they're not going to do cost-of-living adjustments. They may do inflation bonuses. The 32-hour week thus far is a non-starter. And here's the thing. Oh, and by the way, the auto manufacturers are proposing we're not going to give you 32 hours a week at 40 hours a week pay, but we will give you Juneteenth. Don't you love that? that we're not going to give you all these things, but, hey, you can have Juneteenth off, too. Good Lord, Juneteenth. But one of the issues here is is the pensions and the health care benefits after retirement. And this is off the table for the big three auto manufacturers. This is completely off the table. Now, why? You've got to understand, and this goes back to, to I keep saying it, but you have to understand this. The labor costs for non-American auto manufacturers who produce cars in the United States, you name the auto manufacturer that is not Ford, GM, or Stellantis, Their labor costs are less. Their pension costs are less. Their their defined pension benefits are less. Their health care costs are less. Their hourly pay tends to be less. Their workers are still making a good living, but they're not American UAW workers at one of the big three. They've always had the best deal. And the UAW looks at uh, Ford, GM, and Chrysler says, look how profitable you've been in the past several years. They're like, have you paid attention to what's going on in the auto market right now? Used cars are as expensive as new cars. You can't produce them as quickly. Uh, The auto lines are slowed down. It doesn't matter to the UAW. Now, the other thing you have to understand here with the United Auto Workers is, in addition to them having a new guard that's come in, a new leader who wants to show he is going to fight for the workers, he's going to put the workers first, he's not corrupt, he's not on pay, they're trying to get over these, these scandals that the UAW had. The other thing that he wants to show and Affirm, is that he can make big gains too. It's not just the Teamsters. It's not just the SEIU. That the United Auto Workers are relevant and they can make big gains for the auto workers as well. Look at what the Teamsters did with UPS. I can do it with the auto workers, except the auto workers can't, can't, cannot go along with it. That's the thing that seems to be missing from the conversation. The United Auto Workers want things from the auto manufacturers, the auto manufacturers can't give them. They can't give a 40-hour work week that's only 32 hours. They can't afford it. Costs continue to go up. That would drive up their labor costs. In fact, it would make their labor costs double They can't do it. There's just, frankly, no way to make work what they want to work. So the auto manufacturers are going to go on strike. They're going to strike against the big three. They're going to rotate the factories, which they go on strike. They're not all going to go on strike at the same time at the same places, but it's going to cause a work slowdown. Now, this is going to have cascading effects. It's going to have cascading effects on the Tier 2 and Tier 3 component manufacturers. This is separate from the labor tiers. So you have uh, auto manufacturers, and they make their uh, original parts for their cars. You have tier one manufacturers who are separate companies, but they make the the original parts for the auto manufacturers. So you've got an, an outside company, but it makes the seat belts, it makes the buttons, it makes the radios. Then you have a tier two supplier. The tier two suppliers supply the tier one suppliers. So they supply the buttons for the seatbelt, they supply the actual buckle, they supply the leather, they supply the, the cloth, they supply the thread, they supply these things. Then you have tier three and they provide the smaller things. The problem here is that a strike doesn't just affect the auto manufacturers, it affects their tier one supply chain, it affects their tier two supply chain, and it'll affect the tier three guys to a degree. So you're potentially putting hundreds of thousands of Americans on the unemployment line as this slows down. The Tier 1 and the Tier 2 manufacturers in particular will start to make cutbacks. This begins to have a cascading effect on the American economy, which Joe Biden cannot afford. There, of course, is a political angle here. Joe Biden claims to be super union, super labor friendly. Joe Biden can't afford the strike. Because a strike against the auto industry of America is so integrated, it begins to hurt. The tier one and tier two dealers, it, it, it hurts the car dealerships. It hurts their families too. It has cascading economic effects that are not good for the United States. Biden and the UAW president don't have a great relationship. They've tried to warm it up. But look at the Teamsters. The Teamsters decided to strike against UPS if UPS didn't give them what they demanded. UPS gave them much of what they demanded, and at the last minute, They said, nope, we're not going to strike. They cut a deal, made the Teamsters guy look good, made UPS look good. They avoided it. The Biden administration was worried about that because of the real-world impact of you not being able to get your Amazon packages. The railway workers were planning to strike, and at the last minute, Biden and Congress preempted them and said, this is essential to the economy. You're not allowed to strike. Go take the deal. They ultimately took the deal. They avoided the strike. But the UAW refused to listen. The UAW wanted the strike. The problem is, you know, you got Hollywood striking, the the writers are striking, the actors are striking, some of their demands are nonsensical, some of them are legitimate. The UAW has some legitimate issues about the cost of living, but the Biden administration has been trying to tell everyone the cost of living is good. Don't worry about it, you ungrateful person. Why can't you acknowledge that the economy is good? This is what the UAW workers are saying, though, that the economy isn't good, that the cost of living is is, is, inflation is outpacing it. It's too expensive to to live right now. They can't make ends meet. The Biden administration has been pushing back against all this. Will they now do this with the union workers? I doubt it. I doubt it. I, I How can you? These are the union workers. Biden wants union support. He doesn't want them to go to someone like Trump. He doesn't want them to go to a Republican. They'd be hard-pressed to. But if Biden doesn't give them what they want, they just might as a big middle finger to Joe Biden. He's got this tiger by the tail. He can't let go. It's just going to have cascading effects in the economy. The unions want things that the auto manufacturers cannot give them without bankrupting the auto manufacturers. And there will be no bailout in Washington this time. Republicans won't go along with the bailout if it's to line the pockets of unions that fund Democrats, they won't do it. So the strike could go on a while and the longer it goes, the more effects it has on the tier one and the tier two and the tier three manufacturers of parts and components for the auto manufacturers. More people get laid off. More people have to go on unemployment insurance. More people have problems. It causes economic turmoil. Don't look now. Donald Trump is now ahead of Joe Biden in the Real Clear Politics polling average. This could be a problem for the Democrats. And the delicious irony is it will be because of the Democratic-leaning United Auto Workers plunging America into economic chaos for demands no automaker can give without themselves going bankrupt. It's just. Too perfect, too hilarious, too ironic, too rich to watch. And yet, it's happening. Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. We are not the gossip show nor the gossip channel, but there actually is a gossipy news story we got to, unfortunately, begrudgingly, we got to talk about. (sighs) Governor Kristi Noem of South Dakota is, the Daily Mail reports, been having a fling with Corey Lewandowski. Uh, she's married. Um, I thought he was still married. Um, I thought he was. She is uh, married and has three children. And then there's Lewandowski, who also wasn't Hope Hicks or somewhat involved with. I, I don't understand. I, I don't get the, the this whole issue. Um, Nome should be measured on her politics and her policies, and she's not a fantastic um, governor. She When she was in the House of Representatives, she was a squishy Republican, way more aligned with leadership. She had like a less than 60% score from Heritage Action for America on her conservatism. She's been bad on trans issues. She's been bad on tax issues. She's been bad on education issues uh, until she decided she wanted to maybe run for vice president or president. And then she started uh, being good on all the issues she'd been bad on. Funny how that works. Um, But now this, someone from Mar-a-Lago sabotaging her her chances. Someone else, I guess, want to be vice president uh, because she had been rumored as of last week to be a Trump pick for VP. And now suddenly... Has this come out about her? I don't know. Maybe that helps her with Trump, given his whole lifestyle. I don't know, but it's a salacious, terrible story, and I don't get some of these Republican female politicians who have decided to be as crass and terrible as the men. I thought you put women in charge. Things improved. Apparently not. Now, i got to tell you about Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile is a great cell phone provider, And if you take your business to Patriot Mobile, you get guaranteed great service using probably the same cell towers you're already using, and you start funding the conservative causes you care about as they grow their profits, they grow the conservative movement. All you have to do is go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric today, PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Or you can call them 972-PATRIOT. If you call them at 972-PATRIOT, you tell them I sent you, you get free activation, and then they give you great discounts, veteran, first responder, NRA member, teacher, you name it. You can also go to patriotmobile.com slash eric, put in your home address. They'll zoom straight into your house. They'll show you how good the 5G, the data, the voice, everything is. You get unbelievably great service with them. All you have to do, patriotmobile.com slash eric. Or call them at 972-PATRIOT and tell them I sent you to get free activation. And as their profits grow, their funding of the conservative causes you care about grow. For the First Amendment, Second Amendment, the pro-life movement, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here across America. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. Uh, I, I have met or know pretty much every one of my next guest brothers and sisters and, and his dad, but I've never actually met him. He happened to have been the governor of Nebraska and now is the senator from Nebraska. It is governor turned Senator Pete Ricketts on the phone. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm great. So, you know, I, I, I know Todd, and I've sat next to Tom at a Cubs game. I met Laura. I've, I've hung out with your dad several times.
1: You're like the last of the Ricketts I've ever met. So thank you for are coming you sure on. We, I, are you sure we haven't met, like, before I was governor? Didn't I run into something, like one I, red state something I, or other? I,
0: I might, we might have met in passing. We, we might have done that. We've never hung out at a Cubs game. I will tell you that. As no, a,
1: as we, a, we've never spent any good quality time together.
0: That is true. As, as, a, as a Cubs fan turns brave fans, you, you know, your, your, your dad, Dad and your brother arranged for me to get my dad uh, to a Cubs game and, and sat right next to the dugout, and it's still one of my great memories with my dad. So I'm a big fan of your whole family.
1: Oh, that's cool. That is one of the neat things about the Cubs is being able to spend time with uh, family, and uh, especially like the whole father-son or mom-daughter or daughter-dad, and all that sort of stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, and it's such a cool and we're, comp- and we're And we're competitive this year, too. We're at yes. contention, so that's a good deal. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Now, it be my flagship station in Atlanta. we, we got to tread carefully on this one, but having grown up a Cubs <laughs> well, fan... And, and how about
1: Atlanta at the top of their division, too? How's that? Yeah, perfect, <laughs> perfect.
0: All right, so let, let, let's talk, talk about some, some Senate work here, because I know you're introducing a bill to, to cut the federal tax on Social Security benefits, which is something similar to what you did as governor in Nebraska to protect Social Security benefits, and I, I'm always kind of shocked when people my age and younger realize all of a sudden that Social Security benefits are taxed. I think a lot of people just presume that there was no tax on those benefits.
1: Well, in fact, that's the way it started out, right? When Social Security was passed, there wasn't any tax on it because they were thinking, well, I'm taxing people that I will then give back to them in Social Security benefits. So why would I do that? It seems like double taxation. Uh, But in 1983 there was a tax added on to it and in 1993 it was taken up so there was like up to 85 percent of your your social security can be taxed and what we did here in Nebraska through controlling our spending is we were able to eliminate the state income tax on social security benefits and now what I would like to do is bring that Nebraska solution to the rest of the country by eliminating the tax on social security benefits at the federal level now it didn't get there overnight, and so I'm not proposing we get rid of it overnight. Uh, like we did in Nebraska, we phased it in in Nebraska, the tax cuts, but uh, we got there. What I'd like to do is um, do the same thing at the federal level. So my bill proposes cutting the tax by 10% in the first year and then 20% in the second year. And then, of course, you know we have uh, to continue to roll, keep that rolling. But, and the way we make that work is the way we did in Nebraska, which is control our spending. So. Uh, you know, for example, um, our non-defense discretionary spending was up 40% between nineteen 20, or 2019 and, and 2023. If we just take that down to a reasonable level, we would more than be able to uh, offset what we estimate the cost of, uh, you know, the revenue lost on the Social Security taxes just by not spending the money. And we'd be more than break even. So, it, Okay.
0: you having the democrats in in control of the the senate and and biden in the white house politically i I could see this as something if you were able to get this done the president would want to sign it it'd be a great thing for him to campaign on i I guess but i mean do you have any buy-in from anybody on the other side because it's it's a tax cut and they don't seem to like those
1: yeah well i will tell you my experience in nebraska was this was not a republican initiative it was not a democrat priority this was a nebraska priority And when we introduced this into the Nebraska legislature, we had 100 percent support and zero opposition. So this was a bipartisan bill. And so I do believe, you know, like with any idea, it takes time to socialize the idea, get it out there Um, in the Senate. In particular, you don't pass standalone bills it has to get attached to must move legislation. Mm -hmm. So we do have a lot of work to be able to build the support for this get uh, some co-sponsors especially from the other party but at based, again, my experience in nebraska where we had 100 percent support for this we ought to be able to build the support for this and, and by the way this is going to be really good for seniors um you know by 2025 when this would be uh you know get in you save 800 That that is a big deal especially in this time of high inflation rising interest rates rising energy prices rising rent costs you know all those sort of things this would help people on fixed income, and our seniors need it. 800 hundred I mean, that's like 208 uh, gallons of gas, right? So that's a big deal. So this was something that can really put money in the pockets of seniors. It's, uh, it's actually called our Social Security Check Tax Cut Act so that, uh, you know, seniors would be able to deal with all these high prices we've seen over the last couple of years. Right. So let me just ask you as she has an aside, but I want to talk to you about
0: AI as well, because I know you, you've got some work you're putting in there. But having been the governor of a state to go to the Senate, one of the things I've heard from some of your colleagues who have been similarly situated is, is, there, it's a more frustrating experience to be with these 99 other people in the Senate, some of whom were also governors, uh, as opposed to being a governor where you were the chief executive of a state. Are, are you running into any of that, that, that it just maybe works works a little more frustratingly than, than you thought was possible?
1: Well, I think you have to understand they're different jobs, right? Um, so you have to have a different mindset when you come into the legislative branch, just in general, right? Because you are working with other colleagues to be able to get legislation passed. So it's much more about having committee hearings and meetings and writing legislation and writing letters, all of which takes time. So it is a longer process. And in particular with the U S Senate, it was designed by our founders to slow things down, to give people a chance to think about what they were doing and the consequences. So it's a different job. And I think if you have that understanding, that mindset, you just got to understand that's how it's going to work. But what I've been doing is really taking what we did in Nebraska, you know, our Nebraska solutions ready for America and offering them. So we did some uh, good work on trying to get people off of, for example, food stamps to SNAP benefits by offering job coaches. So we've got a bill on that. Uh, We've got, you know, everybody wants to figure out how we can reduce our impact on the environment. The Biden administration has one answer. It's called EVs, but we actually have a different solution in Nebraska. It's called biofuels that reduces the amount of pollutants you put in the air. And by the way, We have a distribution system that's already out there and cars that already use it. So just these ideas that we did in Nebraska are some of the things like what we're doing, the Social Security tax that we can offer and really bring that experience I had as governor to the Senate to be able to help get these ideas out to the rest of the country.
0: Now, let me talk to you one about, or I suspect you can get some real bipartisan interest on, because uh, I know the Senate is having conversations. I heard Chuck Schumer on TV the other day talking about uh, AI and AI-generated content, both writing. Uh, now we've got uh, AI-generated videos, AI-generated pictures. Uh, people are already starting to circulate these things. Some of them look photorealistic. It's it's hard to tell they're fake. Uh, and, and I know you you've got an interest in this and are considering some watermarking legislation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I dropped this week my bill, Advisory for AI Generated Content Act. And it really is meant to be a first step of what we need to do to put some guardrails on. You probably read about the big meeting that, uh, frankly, Leader Schumer, but also uh, Republicans like Mike Rounds and Todd Young helped organize to be able to bring in a lot of industry experts to talk about AI. And there was broad consensus that there needs to be some guardrails. And this is one of the first steps I think we need to take. So people, when they're consuming digital media, which people are doing a lot more of it nowadays than ever before, right, Mm -hmm. they will know that, hey, if I see a picture where there's smoke over the Pentagon, but it says generated by AI, eh, maybe that's not true. But this is important because, um, you know, a study published in June found that the majority of people were unable to tell whether a tweet was written by a human or by chat GPT. Uh, We've Mm -hmm. seen it where political ads could be used to make a candidate, you know, fake a candidate saying something they didn't say. Um, We can see it in all sorts of applications. And this is why we need to make sure that when people are consuming media, whether it's a picture, a video, a speech, uh, a report, a poem, whatever it would be, that it's watermarked to say, hey, this was generated by artificial intelligence. So the consumer would have that to be able to judge whether or not they should believe it or how they should view it and that sort of thing. So I think it's a first step. It's not probably the only thing we need to do, but it's uh, I think an early step we need to do to be able to make sure that people understand what they're consuming so they can make good judgments about it.
0: Well, and you know, in that regard, it it, it seems like this is such an evolving technology, um, large language models for the written side of it. Um, and I know there are real concerns, like for example, the Hollywood strike, the writers, don't want to be unemployed by artificial intelligence, uh, more and more, it seems like almost a, a white collar threat. Uh, I, I, I'm curious, though, as far as the Senate goes, it, I mean, how do how do you, it, it, and I, I want to be diplomatic here, and I, I certainly don't mean this insulting to you or, or to any of your colleagues, but we're, you are dealing with, in a lot of cases, people much older than you setting the policy position uh, in the U.S. Senate. And, and I what do you guys do as far as bringing in experts to try to explain to some of the maybe 80-year-old, 70-year-old senators exactly what this is and, and how we need to grapple with forming legislation that can deal with it, regulate it, but also not bind it so it can actually improve over time?
1: Well, that's a good point. We don't want to stifle innovation because that's really the hallmark of what we do here in America, right? We To, get, to solve our problems in America, we innovate our way out of those things. And that's why we don't want to get in the way of artificial intelligence and all the good things that come out of it, but to be able to put some of these guardrails around. That's why this bipartisan group of senators called in industry experts—people, you know, names you remember or that you know, right? Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, but also had people from different aspects. We did have people from the Screenwriters Guild there, right? Uh, We had uh, people representing the unions. We had people researchers who had done research on this. Uh, You know, so we had people who were offering different perspectives on how AI can impact the the world to be thought to, you know, really say, hey, let's be thoughtful about if we're going to put guardrails around there, how we structure it. So I, I think one of the key messages that came out was, you know, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know how the code actually works. You just have to understand how we can put the guardrails around to make sure again like with my uh bill advisory for ai generated content start with just let people know this is what you're looking at you know this is generated by ai and I, while the president got some you know, tech leaders to say oh we'll do it voluntarily that's not going to be good enough for the for the bad actor who's not going to pay attention to that right. so we have got to start putting those rules in place to make sure everybody's following the same rules so that consumers can have some certainty about what they're consuming
0: well, Senator, listen, it, it's great to talk to you, um, it, to have this level of conversation. My best to you and also to your, to your dad, and your your brothers and sister. Uh, and thank you very much for stopping by.
1: My pleasure, I Well, uh, please, loved, I'd love to be on again in the future.
0: Absolutely. Happy to do it. Senator Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, former governor there, turned senator, uh, launching legislation this week, this coming week, to get the tax off Social Security at the nationwide level and also to start putting watermarks on digitally generated AI content so people are less likely to be fooled by it. Uh, Thanks, Tim, for stopping by, Senator Pete Ricketts. Now, i got to tell you about Americans for Prosperity. They're actually a big fan of this idea of taking the tax off Social Security. They're also a big fan of reigniting the American dream, largely through deregulation and largely through pushing back on some of the Biden agenda with Bidenomics. They're doing a nationwide bus tour right now. They want to essentially get you involved, educate you, train you, and then have you engage with your neighbors and local policymakers to explain what can be done at the local and the state level to push back against some of the madness out of D.C., while also agitating in Washington for real changes. If you would like to be a part of the solution, a part of real change in the country, reach out to Americans for Prosperity. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric is the landing page to go to. They've got over 4 million people who are involved with them right now in the nation, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. You go sign up with Americans for Prosperity. You're part of a movement larger than yourself that is deeply engaged in fighting for free people, free markets, limited government, fighting for reform and fighting against the Biden agenda. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They're in Noonan, Georgia, and they can help your business nationwide. you buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, expanding, see opportunities where banks are giving you the runaround on lending. First Liberty might be able to help you anywhere in the nation. FirstLibertyGA.com. Get their contact info. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a fit for you. See if you're a good fit for them. FirstLibertyGA.com. Now, The phone number here, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. We have a problem. It's a sizable problem. The Biden administration has now restricted the uh, drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, ANWR. They're bragging about it, saying it's not affecting current prices, even though we have a futures market, so it will. And the Wall Street Journal is reporting we should be expecting oil prices to top $100 a barrel by the end of the year. You know what this is going to cause? Inflation. That's right. Inflation. Prices are going to continue to go up. This is not going to be good for anybody. Prices are going to continue to go to climb and that's going to cause food prices to go back up. And as food prices go back up, that impacts your cost of living, you're not going to be able to make as much as the rise in the cost of living. That's going to have a real economic effect on you. And you know, most people are realizing that their real world take-home pay is now down between $3 and $6,000 year over year. This is Bidenomics. And the Biden administration's solution is not to expand oil production in this country, although they like to claim they have. Their solution is to force you into a battery-powered vehicle. The battery-powered vehicle would mean you have to go buy a brand new vehicle. That's the absurdity of all of this right now. Their solutions involve you having to spend even more money as opposed to bringing prices down, as opposed to making nice with Saudi Arabia, trying to get Saudi Arabia to expand their oil production. They're they're not willing to do that. They're not willing to do any of these things that they could be doing. They're not willing to do it. And they could, but they won't, because it's pridefulness and contemptuousness. It's prideful in that they really do think you should be grateful to them, that they're saving you. They really do believe that they've got this Messiah complex. They're saving the planet by forcing you to drive up your costs, by forcing down your quality of living, by forcing down your lifestyle. They're saving the planet, and so you should be grateful to them. But there's also a level of contemptuousness that's coupled with the pridefulness. They have deep contempt for Saudi Arabia. They don't like that Saudi Arabia won't let them hoist the rainbow flag. They don't like that Saudi Arabia is uh, conservative Islamic. They don't like Mohammed bin uh, Salman. They they don't like what he did to uh, Jamal Khashoggi. They don't like that they have to be dependent on Saudi Arabia. They don't like that Saudi Arabia produces oil. They just don't like Middle Eastern countries. They don't like Israel. They don't like Saudi Arabia. The only one they seem to like is Iran, and Iran is a terrorist state. So they're contemptuous of these other countries. They're contemptuous of you and your refusal to change your behaviors to save the planet. And they're very prideful in their belief that they are the Messiah who will save us all and create an Eden on earth that they can regulate and control and control access to. And meanwhile, you're just seeing your hamburger price go up. You're seeing your chicken price go up. You're seeing your milk price go up. You're seeing your gas price go up. You're seeing your um, ability to, to spend on other things for your own family's pleasure go down. Your cost of living rises. All of these things begin to play out. It begins to hurt you directly. And you have Jennifer Granholm smiling at you, telling you people, Go get a battery-powered car and an electric stove, and you don't have the money to do that thanks to Joe Biden's economy.